Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. Good morning. Uh, What a blessing to be together. Uh, Thank you for, I'll just say up up front, thank you for all of you who have, have been praying for me. And I recognize saying that, uh, that there are many people who have uh, great need of prayer and standing in the need of prayer. And I thank you, and I am so grateful that prayer is uh, such a vital ministry of WCMC. And it needs to be. And so I'll encourage you, as Chris did, and I'll encourage you uh, again at the end of the message, to be participating in the, in the week of prayer. And if you can't be here physically during the week, You've got that prayer guide that you can take with you, and you could be praying from home. You could be praying from your bathroom. You could be praying from anywhere you want, because the Lord uh, will be with you and is with you and will guide your prayers, and mine as well. If you can come, wonderful too. Wednesday evening, 6.30, Friday evening, 6.30, we're going to gather here uh, for communal time, for community time, uh, to be worshiping God together. So we welcome you to those times as well. Uh, I did have my test on Tuesday. And uh, my gallbladder is normal, so uh, at least something is. <laughs> so, so we'll keep at it. And uh, if you ask me, how are you? And I say to you, I'm fine. I'm not lying. And I'll tell you why. It's because I really do believe, not that it's always easy, And we grant that because some of you and and loved ones are going through very difficult times. But but I really believe that our first response when we're asked, how are you doing, is how's my spirit? Because that's really the eternal part of me. Uh, That's the part that God inhabits. And while our bodies will eventually all crumble, and uh, the Apostle Paul called, uh, called them tents. And he said, you know, one day these tents will no longer be. But we dwell in them for a time. But even though they might not be functioning like we would like them to be, if our spirits are well united with Christ, then we're good. And we are well. Uh, and and more, most importantly, we are well because God is good. And he's good all the time. We have more than 10,000 reasons to give him praise. So as we've begun 2019... We're focusing this month on something that is crucial for us as followers of Jesus, both individually and collectively. And that is what the mission or the purpose is that Jesus has called us to as the church. And I have a a, a presentation that we're going to uh, go along with and also have the scriptures on that so that that we can follow along. To illustrate about what is mission is, And what is purpose? Uh, Please don't hold this against me, but I play quite a bit of online chess. It's the one game that I play online. And uh, there are three major parts to the game of chess. There is the opening game, where the general objective is to develop the pieces and to control the middle of the board. 
I said, who knew? Who cares? Well, <laughs> some of us do. It's the illustration. And then there's the middle game. And in the middle game, basically the objective is to maintain or gain the upper hand in order to take you into, guess what? The end game. And that's the third part of chess. And in the end game, the mission very simply is to trap the king. You don't actually remove the king from the board. You just get the king into a position that uh, can't move and he can't be blocked and he's just completely trapped. And that's the end of the game. That's checkmate. And the three parts, they all blend together so that it's not always very clear. It's not always crystal clear where the opening game ends and the middle game starts. It's not always crystal clear where the middle game ends and the end game starts. What you do know is where the end game begins. I'm sorry, where the opening game begins and where the end game ends. Those are clear. And what's crystal clear is what the mission of the game is. The mission of the game through all of the opening in the middle of the end is to trap the opponent's king before your king can be trapped. Then it's checkmate. So through all of that, what's super clear, there are ends, there's one end, and there are means to the end. There are, there's a way to get to the ultimate mission. But what's really clear is what the mission of the game is. Well, that's one picture of a checkmate, and it, looks, it can look very, very uh, different ways. Faith and life are no game. And we are in a continuous process of learning as we navigate through life together and through our spiritual lives together. But Jesus was very clear that there's, while there's so much that takes place in life, and there are, there are so many directives and, and there's so many challenges in life for us to navigate through. What is clear from Jesus is what our mission is. What is clear from Jesus is what our purpose is. And he was very clear when he told his disciples, recorded at the end of the first book of the New Testament, the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, and then the beginning of the fifth book, which is the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, what's very clear is, ultimately, while we're here on earth... Our mission is to make disciples. And our mission is to grow together as disciples. And that's all part of the process of making disciples. We're going to talk more about that general directive and that general mission next Sunday. But along with that, not only did Jesus just say, this is what you should be doing, but you know, while he was on earth, for those three years or so of his adult ministry, he modeled it, didn't he? Because he chose, he prepared, and he led, and then he, he set off disciples to make more disciples. He had 12 in particular. He had 70 or so that he sent out uh, to do ministry. And then he also had big crowds of people that, that followed him wherever he went. And among all of those, he had three in particular that were his really closest confidants. But Jesus modeled making disciples. And in order to accomplish the mission effectively, Jesus identified the two most important directives or commandments that are part of making disciples in our personal and corporate lives. They're found, as we started last week, in Matthew chapter 22. That's where we're going to go today. That's where we're going to start. 
Jesus had just been under pressure and he was asked under pressure, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And his response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And as we discussed last Sunday, he also said in another place when he talked about it at another time, he also said it with all of your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, to love God with all that you are. And the second one is like it. This is where we're going to be today, which is love your neighbor, whether or not your neighbor has a hyphen, as yourself. And all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So all of the other law and the prophets, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, because he was accused of that, he said, I've come to fulfill them. And they all subsume, they all come together under these two primary directives. Love God with all that you are, love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets, Jesus said, hang on these two. So last Sunday, we focused on loving God with all aspects of our being, recognizing that we cannot do it on our own. But we recognize what these four different aspects are. But when we drill down, we need to realize we can't do it on our own. We need the spiritual, supernatural assistance of God. We need the salvation that's possible through only Jesus. And we need the empowerment and the direction of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. And then Jesus said, the second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, there there are a lot of things that could be said about loving others. What does it mean? What does it look like? How do we do it? What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take us to one account in Jesus' life and ministry where he set an example, where he modeled loving a neighbor as himself. It's found in the third book of the New Testament, uh, which is Luke I'm sorry, last week I gave a wrong number. I said Deuteronomy was the fourth book of the Old Testament. Nobody corrected me. Thank you. It's the fifth. But anyhow, uh, Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses. That's where we're going to go today. And this is how it starts. It doesn't tell you much about the story. But the first verse is Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So this was right near the very end of his earthly ministry. Jesus is passing through Jericho. He's got a mob of people around him. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. A pretty pressure-packed time, by the way, because he knew where he was going and what was going to happen. But he was unwavering in his mission, which was to give his life for the salvation of people like you and me. And so he's walking through the town of Jericho on the way to Jerusalem, There's a mob of people, as I say, there's a big crowd walking with them. Just imagine, uh, Dallas Willard really encouraged in in some of his writing about, and, and others have too, but encouraged about when we read the New Testament, particularly in the stories, just imagine inserting yourself into the story. What would it have been like to be in the crowd? And how might I have behaved how might I have responded if I had been among the people? And it's, it's a particularly useful question, I think, 
in this particular story. As they're walking along with them, I expect people were listening very intently for wise instruction from the greatest rabbi. Maybe they were, they were chatting at times about something that, that he said that was striking, and they said, whoa, whoa, wasn't that interesting what he said? Laughing with him as he expressed joy. Maybe scratching their heads sometimes at something that he said that they didn't understand or that they didn't like. Because Jesus said some things that rattled people's cages or their chains. And many of the people in that crowd probably considered themselves to be his followers. Some of them were probably just inquirers. And I would expect that among all of the people were the 12 disciples, his closest disciples. And I'm reminded of these words. When I think of that crowd gathering together and the purpose of their being together with him, I'm reminded of these words from the book of Hebrews. And the writer to the Hebrews wrote, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So spurring one another is like that iron sharpening iron when we, when we, when we sharpen together and there are sparks the idea of spurring one another on is, is, is about encouraging one another as well as exhorting one, one another, pushing each other in our faith and encouraging each other in our faith. And I expect that was going on to some extent with that crowd around Jesus. We need friends in our lives to mutually encourage and challenge in our faith. Would you agree with that? Uh, we need that in our lives. Every one of us, I, I need that. We all need that. We were not designed to live as islands and to say, well, you know, it's just me and Jesus and, and, and uh, other people can maybe, they maybe need other people, but I'm pretty strong. That's not how God made us. God made us that we need each other. So Jesus had larger crowds gathering with him like a church. And then from them, as I say, he had a small group of 12 men. And he was particularly investing in them and training them so that they would go on and make disciples who would make disciples. And again, from among them, he had an inner circle of confidence that he would take, as he, as he took in the Garden of Eden after this incident, that he needed to pray with him, but, but they actually uh, fell short on him. But he had that inner circle. I really believe in meeting in both large and small groups. I really believe in, in the gathering of the community on Sunday morning because there is a spiritual presence and energy because God does not live in this building. God lives in you as a follower of Jesus. And so when we gather together as the church, then God is just that much more present. Not that God can't be as present as he wants to be, but you understand what I mean. It's not that we come to the church to meet God, but we come together as the church to worship God together. And so, I encourage you to be part of a small group too. Because I really believe in small groups. Whether it's, a, whether it's a small group of a dozen or so, or it's a small group of two or three. Because, now we get, we get out as much as we put in. But the point of getting together is to foster friendship and personal spiritual growth and study of God's word, whether that's done topically or, 
or, or expositorily or exegetically, however it may be done, but for God's word to be, be part of that. Life groups are a rejuvenated ministry here at Wilmot Center, and I praise God for that. And we are going to be continuing to work on the vitality of life groups because it needs to be a vital ministry. I, I believe it's an essential ministry. I urge you to find as well a couple of people in your life who you trust with anything. I have a few men in my life that I will call in times of needs that I trust completely and that I need in my life. And when we have hit the darkest times in our lives, that is when I've recognized more than ever, thank you, Lord, for yourself that I can call on you at any time and that you have placed people in my life that I can call at any time and I can trust and I can bear my soul to them as well and trust them. Back to our story. We need friends in our lives to mutually encourage and challenge us. We should also have people in our lives who are not followers of Jesus. A natural outflow, I believe, of loving God, I believe Jesus is saying that, a natural outflow of loving God is loving others. And it was clear that Jesus cared about the people who were crowded around him. That's why he was teaching. And it was also clear that Jesus was known as a friend of non-religious people. Even shadier people, if you will, because he was known as one who hung out with prostitutes, that's right, tax collectors, and sinners. And that's what they were called because the religious leaders of the day considered themselves to have it all together. They were self-righteous. So they were the righteous, other people were the sinners. Well, no surprise, we've all been sinners. And, and now God calls us saints. Praise his name. We still may sin. But we are called saints. Saved by grace. And we recognize that, that all have sinned. Fall short of the glory of God. And so Jesus, Jesus' priority was to be with people who needed help. Who needed healing. Who needed restoration. We need to follow that. Jesus cared about them because he wanted to show them God's love. He said he came to earth not to help the well, but to help the sick and the broken. And he demonstrates it here in this story. Though unfortunately, some of the crowd were not with him when it came to this. So there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short... He couldn't see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. So Jesus is walking along with the crowd. He spies in a tree, bigger than that one, but he spies in a tree a little man. And so, of course, I like him immediately. And the little man is up in the tree and he's looking intently, even hopefully, at Jesus. And it was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. And with this big crowd around, around Jesus, as, as we just read, Zacchaeus was too short to see over them and I expect he was too disliked for people to let him through. Because 
He collected overpriced taxes from his own people for the Romans who were occupying them. And he would pocket a healthy cut for himself. And that's why he was wealthy. And that's why he was hated. So when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And for people in Jesus' day, especially religious people, if the rabbi said, I'm going to come and I'm going to make a call. Now, in our day today, sometimes if a pastor makes a call and says, I'd like to uh, make a visit to, to your house, panic fills people's hearts. Say, why am I being uh, set apart like this? What have I done to deserve a call from the pastor? Well, a lot of people actually consider that to be a good thing. But I expect that, that most of you would respond the same way, that it's not a bad thing. The place that Jesus was, and I don't think it's any coincidence where he's telling this story. He's at Jericho, and he's not far from the very road that he used in a parable describing the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't think it's a coincidence that that was the case, but that's another story. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I need to come to your house today to spend time with you. Zacchaeus was thrilled, but all the people who were with him saw this, and they began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. People around Jesus scowled, they murmured, they grumbled, they muttered, they called Zacchaeus a crook and a cheat and a sinner, and and he was, I mean, they, they were telling the truth, but they were making the wrong comparison. They were comparing their perception of themselves with him rather than who they are compared to the perfect Christ who was right before them. And maybe even Jesus' 12 disciples were among the grumblers, we don't know that. But the people were indignant, and I wouldn't be surprised if some people were so ticked off by it that they just walked away. He said, I'm not going to be part of that. I thought thought Jesus was actually spiritually cool. But apparently he's not in my mind, or in their minds. They'd been in the middle of of the greatest walking Bible study that that they'd had. And in fact, just before, if we were to go to the end of the previous chapter, Jesus had just, there had just been a miracle, and Jesus had just healed a blind man. So people were euphoric. I mean, they were excited. We want more of this Jesus. We want more Bible study. We want more miracles. It's one of those times, I don't know about you, it's one of those times that, like when I get interrupted sometimes, do you ever just get annoyed? Just to be honest. And yet sometimes those interruptions and disturbances are actually the work of of whom? Actually the work of the Holy Spirit who's maybe bringing somebody across our path or bringing somebody across our phone or bringing somebody across social media or email who needs to hear a certain word or who needs to, to see a certain example set by us. And so we need to discern that and we need to always be praying. 
in the spirit. We need to be praying without ceasing. That's really what part of that is about. That we're saying, Lord, what's going on here? Is this from you? Help me to respond correctly. I need to stop and listen. Lord, is that you giving me an opportunity to take some time with someone that you love and that you want me to love too? Jesus might well have turned to the crowd and said to them, you know, brothers and sisters, we need fellowship. It's really, really important. But we also need to be touching other people's lives. You have become too preoccupied with some good things at the expense of ignoring others. He could have turned around and just said that to him. But what he did instead was he just led by example. And he said, Zacchaeus, Come down from that tree. I need to spend some time with you. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus had taught in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, and this would have been by the religious teachers. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and even pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus regularly tied belief with action. Because the action is not what gains us salvation, but the action is the evidence that we are children of God and that we are being led by him. For God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love... We could insert the word only. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's easy. Don't even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? You know what they say, point one finger. There are three fingers pointing back at myself. At the foot of a fig tree, Not far from that road of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus now lived out the parable. Now, it wasn't a man who had been beaten up, which is the the part of the story of the Good Samaritan, but it was a man who desperately needed friendship and spiritual care. And while others were concerned about themselves and wanting only a holy huddle, Jesus stopped and paid attention to this lonely man who yearned to have a friend. And while many in the crowd were pronouncing the verdict that they were better than Zacchaeus was, Jesus, who was the only perfect one among them and the only one who's walked perfectly on this earth, rather than accentuating the negative, he noticed Zacchaeus. He took initiative. He gave him that precious commodity called time. And he showed him care and compassion. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. That's some sort of a, of a, of, of a collective lawsuit, isn't it? Uh, that's what happens in, in our day. Uh, where people will be invited to, we're going we're gonna to get some money back from the people who cheated you, and we're going to do it together. The Holy Spirit transforms Zacchaeus' life, and he offered to do that on his own. 
What an incredible story of transformation. As he heard the good news and responded, he became quickly aware of his shortcomings and sin, and he repented. And that's often all people need. They need exposure to, and then they need the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as they give their lives to follow Jesus, and the Holy Spirit changes it. And they don't need to be browbeaten. Uh, They need to be modeled. They need to be told some things. They need to be helped and walked along. But God will bring conviction if we allow it. And in order to get that place, he needed somebody to love him. Now, he had Jesus, and that's, I mean, that's exceptional. Uh, but we need to have both Christian friends, too, for our own spiritual growth, and unchurched friends to also show the love of Jesus. We just need him as friends to start. And more about that next week when we focus on serving the world. Now, circle back to where we started in Matthew 22. There's an important little phrase that's often overlooked here that I think has bearing. Jesus said the second commandment is like the first. It's a natural outflow and evidence of the first. For many of the people in that crowd, as I've, as I've said enough times already, their loathing of Zacchaeus probably came from the place of thinking themselves better than he was. But in truth, there were and there are plenty of people who are angry, who are unhappy and who lash out because that little phrase in bold and underline on the screen before us is something that any of us could struggle with. Do you agree? And this is often overlooked in this passage. We say we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. On the dark side of social media, as you may well know, is bullying, demeaning, messages that tear people down. They have even resulted in people taking their own lives because they've been convinced by somebody that they knew or somebody that they didn't even know that they were worthless. One of the dark sides of, the, of social media and just of life in general and relationships is that self-loathing and a lack of, of healthy self-love is often attacked or often is, is often fostered in people. And it even happens on chess sites. Go figure. <laughs> if I circle back to chess. Because I've sometimes in the middle of a game, and I'm not the greatest chess player, but I've even sometimes while playing chess, I have blocked chat during a game because of taunting and swearing. Chess! You would have thought smart people played chess. Well, they do. They do. In order to love our neighbors as ourselves, we need to have a healthy love of self. How do we nurture that? Because it's not about selfishness. It's about having a healthy, biblically grounded, Jesus as our rock grounded, self-love. How do we nurture that? First, by hearing what God thinks of us. That is crucial. God's word is life-giving. My favorite passage from the Bible on that topic 
is all of Romans chapter 8. And here's a taste. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long, the Apostle Paul was writing. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, well, read this with me, will you? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you say amen? We need to nurture self-love by surrounding ourselves with God's word. We also need to nurture self-love by surrounding ourselves and encouraging other people as encouragers. We need to surround ourselves with people who encourage us. Uh, we need to be careful that we have, that's why I've got these close friends in my life and, and they're not the only ones. Because even when I think of you and what a blessing you have been, the number of people say, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. Uh, you don't even know me. Two months, and I'm just, I'm blessed. And I thank you so much. We need to surround ourselves with people like that. And we need to offer the same and be encouragers because words are powerful. Words can give life. And words can destroy and they can completely sap life like a leech sucks blood out of a person. And we need to be life givers, and we need to surround ourselves with people who are life givers. I will tell you about my sister. Uh, my sister, my sister's name was Tracy. She died at the age of 37 because when she was in high school, she had a very, very low opinion of herself. I know she wouldn't mind you telling me telling you this story. I won't make it long. But she struggled for various reasons. She just, she just didn't like who she was. She didn't like her size. She didn't like her look. And she was fine. She was beautiful as, as she, she, she was. And, 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 and she was beautiful from the inside out. But she didn't believe that about herself. And so she struggled with anorexia nervosa. And it gripped her. Because, you know, anorexia is about self-image. It's very much about that. And it was a long struggle, but, but, but she certainly was doing better. But at the age of, in her mid-30s, her body started breaking down. And they couldn't put a name on it. But then her organs started shutting down. And it, it really was the result of the damage that had been done to her body because of how it had been deprived. But here's what, I want to, here's what I want to say about the other side of the story. In the latter years of her life, she married a man who treated her 
like a princess, like a queen. And I'll be honest, she was my sister, and I scratched my head at that a few times. (laughs) And she would have done the same for me. But I thank the Lord that he treated her with so much love. When we stood outside of the hospital at Stratford General, where, where she spent some of her last days. It was the first time I ever heard a man wail. Because from the depth of his being, he loved her so much. And she died the happiest woman because she was so loved. And she had restored her relationship with God and was in his word and was part of a, of a small group, was part of a study and was believing the things that God said about her. And I say praise his name. In order to love others, we need a healthy love of ourselves. And finally, in order to love like Jesus loves, may we listen to the voice of Jesus. Let me invite the musicians forward as I just, uh, I, I say this also to dovetail with this coming week, with our week of prayer. Again, I invite you to participate. And I pray not only this week, but may we always engage in meaningful times of listening when we pray. Pastor Wayne reminded us in staff meeting this week of Jesus' metaphor of being our shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And perhaps this week or or whatever day, you and I will, will listen after we ask God a specific question. Or we'll just listen for a prompting from the Spirit, for for a message from Him, uh, for a word. Or just a sense of His presence, of His peace, His love, His joy, His assurance. Perhaps as we listen, what we need to hear is an affirmation or a confirmation. Or maybe we might even need to hear a conviction or a correction. Maybe He'll even give us a vision or a dream. I had some very formative dreams a couple weeks ago. And, and while I struggle some physically, I am learning so much more about myself and about my need to listen and engage closely with God. Whatever we hear or sense, if it is from God, it will always be consistent with his written word. And I like what Dallas Willard wrote in his book, Hearing God. I continue to believe that people are meant to be in an ongoing conversation with God, speaking and being spoken to. What a beautiful relationship with the author and the source of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, thank you that you have modeled for us what it means to love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you've modeled for us what it means to love others to love you, to love ourselves in a healthy way. And Lord, I pray again in your name as we reflect upon these points that we've gone over today. Lord, take us deeper with you, first in our relationship with you and then in the outflow of that in our relationship with others. And you receive the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.